People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We've got a full show today. We've got two giveaways. We've got a whole lot of books to talk about, to review. And then we've got an interview, as I said last week, with the author of Star of the North. That's David B. John. Lives in England. He's written a thriller about North Korea. And we have a copy of that book to give away. So we're going to start the show off with the giveaway. I've, read, I've already reviewed this book and I've been speaking about it for a long time. It is, in a nutshell, North Korea and the USA are on the brink of war. A young American woman disappears without trace from a South Korean island. The CIA recruits her twin sister to uncover the truth. Now the twin sister must go undercover in the world's most deadly state. Only by infiltrating the dark heart of the terrifying regime will she be able to save her sister and herself. D.B. John has lived in South Korea and is one of the few Westerners to have visited North Korea. He co-authored The Girl with Seven Names, Hyun Seo Lee's New York Times best-selling memoir about her escape from North Korea. To win a copy of this book, all you need to do is WhatsApp or, ES, or SMS us on our numbers. The SMS line is 35419. That's 35419. And give us the, give us the name of the book. Sorry, the SMS number is 34519. SMS is on 34519. Or WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. And all you need to do is tell us your name and the title of the book that you're currently reading. Uh, so the that's to win a copy of that's to win a copy of Star of the North by D. B. John. Uh, the, the the SMS number is three four five one nine. Sorry, our WhatsApp number is down. But Telegram that number read out is the Telegram number at zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. That's for Telegram or SMS us on three four five one nine. And you can win a copy of Star of the North. Believe me, it is the most explosive thriller that you will read this year. Going to go straight now to memoir. Uh, and we've got three to talk about. These are all written by women. And each of them is a very compelling thriller, a very compelling memoir looking at the story of three very, very different people, three different lives. The first one is called Educated by Tara Westover. It's published by Hutchinson. And it's a very powerful story about a girl who grew up in a very, very, very fundamentalist Mormon home. Tara Westover grew up preparing for the end of days in rural Idaho with radical survivalist Mormon parents. She didn't get a birth certificate until she was nine and had no medical records because her father did not believe in doctors. She and her six older siblings worked in her father's junkyard. As she grew older, her father's beliefs became more extreme and one of her brothers grew violent. At 17, she decided to educate herself as a means of escape. Within 10 years, she had earned a PhD in intellectual history and political thought from Cambridge, but was estranged from her parents and half of her siblings. Now 31 and still living in Cambridge, she has written a powerful memoir 
called Educated, about the transformative power of education and the price she had to pay for it. So this is the book Educated by Tara Westover. She pulled herself out of a, a Mormon household in rural Idaho and throughout the entire book, which she writes, her, her power of write, her ability at writing is very, very strong. She writes movingly with very mixed feelings growing up with her family and then making the decision to actually leave the family and to educate herself against her father's wishes. Uh, her, her brother was very abusive towards her. One of her brothers was very abusive towards her. And that more than the isolation is what made her awaken to the possibilities of leaving. Uh, just a few uh, questions and answers that Tara Westover was asked about um, about her experiences. She was asked about her 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 brother bullying her as you grew older. This is a question asked to Tara Westover, the author of uh, Educated. Your brother Sean began to bully and abuse you. He pulled you around by your hair, broke your wrists, flushed your head in the toilet, killed the family dog, and threatened to kill you too. How did this begin? She says, when I was 15 and he found me smudging my eyes with my sister's mascara, he couldn't stand seeing me grow up to be a woman. He regularly verbally assaulted me. Whenever he hurt me, he was always really apologetic afterwards. He tried to say it was just a game, that he hadn't meant to harm me. And it was always my brother's version of events rather than mine that I wrote down in my journals. I made myself believe it was true. Then when she actually leaves the family, she admits that it was her father, her parents siding with her brother that was the final rift. What broke us was not me going to college against my father's will or even leaving home to go to Cambridge. It was me speaking openly about my brother Sean being violent and abusive to me. My parents couldn't deal with that, so they turned the other way and made me look like the bad person. In families like mine, there is no crime worse than telling the truth. And she still hasn't been reconciled with her parents. Um, because she grew up without going to school, Tara Westover had absolutely no conception of the wider world. So here... She was asked the question, would you recommend going to college or university with no prior experience of school? She gives an emphatic no, not at all. I felt like the only dancer on stage who had missed rehearsal, and I made some excruciating missteps, like the time I was in a European history lecture, and I asked what the Holocaust was. No one believed I didn't know. They all thought I was some kind of racist. But then again, after years of knowing virtually nothing at all, I found learning so exciting. I piled up books and read late into the night. Sometimes I barely slept. This is just a few questions and answers that were asked to Tara Westover. She's the author of personal memoir, Educated, from a fundamentalist Mormon family where they were not educated. She didn't even have a birth certificate until she was just about eight years old. All the way to a PhD at Cambridge University. It's a very powerful book. Educated by Tara Westover. The next book that I want to mention, we mentioned last week on the show, and that's The Girl Who Smiled Beads. It's the story it's a, of Clementine 
Well, Maria, she is famous for having been on Oprah on Oprah's talk show. She's known as Oprah's Girl. Also, a very very powerful story about a girl who survived the Rwandan genocide and made it eventually to America, where she's now become the the the, the face. And the voice for genocide victims. And just to read a short extract from the Washington Post talking about Clementine's journey. And this is what they said. It was a quintessential Oprah moment. In May 2006, Clementine Wamaria, an 18-year-old refugee from Rwanda, sat in a studio audience, one of 50 winners of a national high school essay contest. As her host listened... An emotional Clementine explained that she had been searching for her parents since she was six, when war separated Clementine and her older sister Claire from the rest of their family. The sisters had spent the next six six years on the run, wandering through seven countries, one of them was South Africa, dodging bullets, suffering illness, and living in refugee camps before landing in the United States, empty-handed in 2000. So, Clementine, Oprah asked, before you left America, did you ever find your parents? Clementine knew they were alive but had not found them. But guess who had? Moments later, curtain lifted and out came Clementine and Claire's parents, healthy and impeccably dressed, along with several of their siblings. Oprah has said the reunion was one of the deepest, most joyful moments she has ever experienced. For Clementine, the emotions were more complicated. There was certainly relief, joy and gratitude. But there was also something else. I felt guilty. Clementine's memoir, The Story of Her Life Up Till Now, is called The Girl Who Smiled Beads. She's known as The Girl from Oprah. And we'll talk a bit about the book straight after these ads. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book. And we're looking at a book called The Girl Who Smiled Beads. It's the story of war and what comes after by Clementine Wamaria. It's published also by Hutchinson. Very, very powerful story. Just to give the beginning of the story, the tale begins in Kigali, Rwanda, where Clementine enjoyed a comfortable life. There were fresh flowers on the table and nannies to care for her. Her older sister Claire dreamed of attending college in Canada. Then slowly Clementine's world began to fall apart. The electricity flickered on and off. The water stopped working. There was shushing so much shushing, so much pressure to be quiet and still. As the ethnic conflict intensified, Clementine and Claire were sent to their grandmother's house, where they hid in a pit in the ground used for making banana wine. Colors and sounds bloomed, then exploded, Clementine recalls. I didn't sleep. The situation quickly worsened. Soon there was a knock at the front door of their grandmother's house, and the girls were told to run. Clementine carried with her only a towel. She reached a banana grove and witnessed for the first time others also fleeing, most of them young, some of them bloody with wounds. We heard laughing and screaming and pleading and crying. The noises were human and not human. That's the very beginning of The Girl Who Smiled Beads. It's Clementine Wamaria's story of escape from genocide in Rwanda to America, where she is now based she writes beautifully and also, once again, a very, very powerful, powerful memoir. The third memoir, similar to the first one, 
Also discussed this a few weeks ago. It's called The Only Girl in the World. Maud still remembers the sound of the gates being locked behind her. She was three years old when they moved into the secluded manor. She, and she would only be allowed out again a handful of times. Her parents belonged to a fanatical Masonic order who believed that it was their sacred duty to turn her into the ultimate survivor. She followed a strict schedule of study, hard labor and endless drills designed to eliminate weakness, such as holding an electric fence without flinching and sitting still in a rat-infested cellar. But Maud's parents could not rule her inner life. Befriending animals on the lonely estate and characters in the books she read, Maud nurtured in herself the compassion and love her parents forbade. Maud lived with her parents in the countryside in France. That's where the story is set. She did manage to escape this Masonic cult order, and today she's a psychotherapist specializing in child trauma manipulation in manipulation and in mind control. She's a frequent contributor to radio and television, and she lives in Paris with her husband and her two children. Once again, another very powerful memoir written by a woman and similar to Educated, escaping from a very, very controlling cult. Now that we've mentioned the memoirs, just give another shout out for the giveaway we're giving away a copy of the book the star of the north it's a thriller set in north korea to win it all you need to do is sms us on 34519 with your name and the title of the book that you're currently reading and you can win it's a really stupendous read it's a thriller that will just unfortunately it's it's a lot of it's based on truth it will leave you gasping at what happens in north korea but not only will you be educated about a state that subjects its citizens to gross human rights abuses, it also is a very powerful, the, sto- the thriller, the format of the thriller is a very powerful way to put all this information across. Looking at the next books that we have in front of us, I've got stuff that I think just labeled on the Facebook page uh, for the book clubs. But each of them is a very powerful book in their own right. And incidentally, all the books on today's show have been posted on our Facebook page. So go to Facebook, search for People of the Book on 101.9. All the books plus pictures of the covers will be there. The first one is a very beautiful, slightly sad, but ending full of hope. It's called Meet Me at the Museum, and it's written by Anne Youngson. Interestingly, Anne, who writes so well, is this is her debut novel. She's retired. She she worked in the auto industry in England. She now lives in Oxfordshire. She has two grandchildren. This is her debut novel, and it's been published around the world. And the novel is letters, letters sent between an older lady, just over just over middle age, from England to a man of similar age in Denmark. The book starts when Tina, who is Tina Hopgood, she's just lost a very close friend named Bella. And when they were very, very young, they both followed the discovery of a 2,000-year-old body from the bogs in Denmark. The story of that body 
and hat was preserved and put into a museum. And the man was given the name the Tilland Man in, Nor in, in, in Denmark. And they had known about a book written by a professor. And now in her feeling of loss, she remembers that she and her friend Bella were very interested in this book. And they had met the author. And she decides to write to the author of the book, a Professor Glob living in Denmark, and just to ask more about this 2,000-year-old, very well-preserved body. And Professor Glob is dead, but the man who's taken over his position at the museum sends a letter back to Tina. And his name, she just first calls him the curator, his his name is Kristen Larson. He's the curator. And then they create, they, they keep sending letters to each other discussing Tolland Man and their reactions to this 2,000-year-old, very well-preserved body and what he means to each of them. And then they start sharing their life stories with each other and their hardships and their joys. And it just becomes a most, most beautiful set of letters between two very normal people dealing with life it's a beautiful beautiful book meet me at the museum it deserves a very wide readership it's just so beautiful it is so real it is so human it is so full of normal people just dealing with the difficulties that normal life puts in our paths we'll be back with two more great book club reads and then two thrillers straight after this break People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. The next book I'm going to talk about came out a few months ago. It is so powerful as well. This is called Only Child. And the reason it's called Only Child is because Zach, the, 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 the narrator of the book, starts the book being one of two children in the family. He goes to school with his brother, but there is... Shooting at the school It's in America There's a shooting at the school And amongst the victims Is his older brother So when he gets home from school that day He is now the only child left in the family And he narrates the story From the moment the shooting begins In the classroom To his parents coming to the school In the aftermath of the shootout Finding him but not finding the older son going to the hospital having to deal with the fact that their son didn't survive the shoot the shooting the funeral and then the attempt to restore life in the family back to some sense of balance and normalcy and the whole way through the book it's Zach who helps his parents rediscover the will to live just to show that it's a very powerful book, just to, to give you a sense of what the book entails, just the very, very beginning of the book. I just want to read one and a half pages. The thing I remembered, the thing I later remembered the most about the day the gunman came was my teacher, Miss Russell's breath. It was hot and smelt like coffee. The closet was dark except for a little light that was coming in through the crack of the door that Miss Russell was holding shut from inside. There was no door handle on the inside, only a loose metal piece, and she pulled in and she pulled in with her thumb and pointer finger. Be completely still, Zack, she whispered. Don't move. 
I didn't. Even though I was sitting on my left foot and it was giving me pins and needles and it hurt a lot. Miss Russell's coffee breath touched my cheek when she talked and it bothered me a little. Her fingers were shaking on the metal piece. She had to talk to Evangeline and David and Emma a lot behind me in the closet because they were crying and were not being completely still. I'm here with you guys, Miss Russell said. I'm protecting you. Shh, please be quiet. We kept hearing the pop sounds outside and also screaming, pop, pop, pop. It sounded a lot like the sounds from the Star Wars game I sometimes played on the Xbox. Pop, pop, pop. Always three pops and then quiet again. Quiet or screaming. Miss Russell did little jumps when the pop sounds came and the whispering got faster. Don't make a sound. Evangeline made hiccuping sounds. Pop, hick, pop, hick, pop, hick. This is the beginning of Only Child. It's a debut novel written by Rhiannon Navin. And it is an extremely powerful story of a phenomenon that happens more in America than anywhere else, school shootings. And here it's from the perspective of a six-year-old boy and how he experiences the loss of his brother, his older brother, and then the change in the family when they go from a four-people family to a three-people family. And he is now the only child. Very, very powerful and it's the type of book that also deserves a very wide readership. The next book is the second book by Jessica Knoll. Her first book was Luckiest Girl Alive. This one is now called The Favorite Sister. And what Jessica Knoll does is she takes a whole lot of popular culture and she mixes up together and she delivers it with a very, very strong New York flavor to give us the books that she is now becoming very, very, very famous for writing. Brett and Kelly Courtney are the shining jewels in a New York-based reality TV show called Gold Diggers, one of the most popular shows on American national television. Its fiercely competitive cast of five self-made women is defined by each woman's success, beauty, and ruthless drive to reach the top by whatever means necessary. The Courtney sisters' rivalry goes beyond skin deep. Despite the blossoming business, they have built together, helping disadvantaged women in Morocco. Harboring bitter jealousies and dark secrets about their manufactured screen lives, they're joined by three other hyper-competitive women, all bringing their own agendas. And the latest season promises that sparks will fly in the quest for even higher ratings. Vicious backstabbing, scathing social media attacks, and finely tuned scripting draw in the viewing public every week, orchestrated by the show's omnipotent producers. But even they don't know that season four will end in murder. The, the book starts with the murder, so it's not a, it's, it's more a why than a, a why and a who rather than what, how does the murder actually happen. And Jessica Knoll has her finger on the zeitgeist. She's got popular culture. She's got reality TV, and she's got that very New York sense of society down to a fine art. The dialogue is brilliant, and the, the, the scathingness is very, very well captured here, and that competitiveness is very well captured, as well as the facade and the reality. We present the facade on social media and on the TV, but the reality behind who we are is often very, very different. That is what she investigates. 
in favorite sister, but Jessica Knoll. Then the last thing we're going to do today, I've got two more thrillers that I wanted to review, but we just don't have time to get to them. I'm going to mention them now, and, and I'll, I'll get to them in the next few weeks. The first is Con Igledon's The Falcon of Sparta. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed this book. It's about an army of 10,000 Greeks who have been hired by a prince of Persia who is challenging his brother, who's the emperor of Persia, for the throne. And the prince is killed in battle and 10,000 of his mercenaries who are Greeks, especially a very big contingent from Sparta who are viewed by the Persians as natural enemies, are stuck deep inside Persian territory. And it's the true story of how the 10,000 make their way back to Greece. It's a true story. He has fiction. It's, it's novelized by Connie Golden. He's a great historical writer. And when he takes a true story and he puts it in a, uh, in, into the novel format, it's great historical thriller. And the last book before we play our interview with David, uh, David uh, uh, John is Ghost. This is the third book by James Swallow. He's the author of Nomad and Exile. It's a, it's a thriller, not quite a spy because it's more corporate espionage uh, agency rather than a spy agency. And here in Ghost, we're looking at the the the, the, the unbelievable possibilities that hackers have to disrupt modern society and how that affects not just individuals, whole world. So it's, it's a great spy thriller. The spies are not working for an agency. They're working for a corporate company, which is also interesting. And it's technology and technology's disruptive powers when it's used as a tool. And that's the books that we're going to be talking about, everything that I've mentioned today, and also details of the book that we're going to be discussing in the interview right now have all been posted onto our Facebook page. Go to, pe- go to Facebook, search for People of the Book on 101.9 Chai FM, and you'll find all of these books and pictures of the covers and everything that we've mentioned in the last two years all posted on that page. And now we have our interview with David John. This is People of the Book on 101.9 Chai FM, and we have an absolute great explosive opportunity to interview the author of a book that I've been talking about for least seven months of this year. It's called The Star of the North. It's by D.B. John. It's a it's one of the most explosive thrillers that you will read. We've reviewed, we've reviewed it on the show a few weeks ago, and now we have the opportunity to speak to the author. Uh, David, welcome to Chai FM, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on our show. Thanks for having me. I want, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone who I interview. Uh, instead of me giving your biography, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners in your own words and on your own terms. <laughs> um, I, uh, I grew up in Wales. I started writing pretty late in life, actually, um, only seven years ago. Um, I had a brief career as a lawyer. And then for many years, I was, I was an editor of children's fiction, children's uh, nonfiction for Dolan Kindersley. So, uh, yes, books on stars, planets, bugs, monsters, diggers and dumpers, everything like that. 
And after many years of correcting and rewriting other people's work, I, I thought I'd start writing myself. And I, I took a, a course in creative writing at City University in London. And um, to get the MA, I had to complete a novel, um, which I did in three months. I never thought anyone would publish it. Uh, but my first novel came out in 2012. It was called Flight from Berlin, a thriller set during the 1936 Olympic Games. And um, I went on from there. Um, this is now my third book, um, uh, Star of the North. I've also written one non-fiction book. I was the co-author of a book called The Girl with Seven Names, um, which was the memoir of a North Korean defector called Hyun Soo Lee. And I learned many things from her, which... Um, inspired this book, especially the details of what day-to-day -day life was like inside North Korea. The, that's, that's so interesting that you, you got a job, you had a job in publishing with a company that ended up with Penguin Random House, you know, within their stable of imprints, and your book was published by, you know, your former employee, your former employer, uh, Harville Secker, being part of the Random House group of uh, imprints. That's right, yeah. What, what caused your interest in North Korea? Uh, well, I, I guess I've always been fascinated by tyranny. I, I'm not sure why. My, my first novel um, also focused on, on a dictatorship. Uh, and in both novels, um, a dictator appears in the story as a character. Um, I'm just fascinated by, by the circumstances of that kind of abuse, that kind of control over people, and, and what life... Uh, it just intrigues me to know what life is like uh, living under extreme political control and, and pervasive surveillance with this kind of crazy personality cult, which you have in North Korea. I just wanted to explore how could it be possible for anyone to carve out any kind of private life or, or, or live any kind of independent life away from this oppressive system. I mean, that's what intrigued me, um, because it's like nowhere else on earth. I mean, you and I have grown up in such free societies. Um, we have got no idea what day-to-day -day life is in a place like this, where everyone is watched. Everyone's thoughts are molded and monitored constantly by the regime. You know, we're one step out of line, one, one, one unfaithful word could land you and your entire family in, in, in a labor camp. It's very hard for us to imagine, but that's what I wanted to try and explore and uh, use fiction, use a story to give you as, as accurate an idea as possible about what life is like in a, in a country like that. On, on that point, uh, a few years ago when I reviewed another novel set in North Korea, The, the Orphan Master's Son by Adam Johnson, uh, I had the feeling, and I, I, I expressed this in my book show over the air, that people often read dystopian fantasy in order to escape life in this world, the life that we experience, the life that we know. But reading Adam's novel and reading your novel, which both reflect the lived experience of North Koreans, no one needs to read dystopian fantasy. North Korea is a dystopian society. Here, in the 21st century, while we are alive, in you in, in, in London, me in Johannesburg, there is dystopian life happening, and it's uh, there. Um, absolutely. Uh, and uh, one thing I should say about this novel is that I made very little of it up. <laughs> the story is mine. 
But uh, the details, they're all true. Um, you know, Camp 22, this terrifying camp that's, that covers this vast area in the north of North Korea, it exists. It exists today. Um, it has, it, it conducts human experimentation with, with nerve agents on prisoners. Um, um, it's a society where absolutely everybody, everybody is watched um, by everybody else. Um, uh, it's a society where, uh, you know, if, a sec- if, if it turns out you've got the wrong class background and this comes to light, then you're in serious trouble. Um, you, your entire family could end up in the labor camp. Um, and, it, and it's not enough just for you to um, be obedient, a good obedient citizen. You're constantly having, having to demonstrate your love for the leader, your loyalty. You know, you const- you're constantly having to show it all the time and be very, being very, very careful in what you think and what you say. You know, speaking a thought out loud could get you killed. Uh, I and mean, that's the truth. Um, it's, it's hard for us to get our head around, but you're right. Um, we, we don't need to read, um, dystopian fiction, um, because we've got real, real examples today in the 21st century. It's, it's very hard to imagine. Um, for me, North Korea belongs to, it is a relic from the darkest days of the 20th century. Um, but it endures today. Um, and, and, and right now, a, a harsh light is, is shining on it from the outside world. It, it's probably a crunch moment for Kim, Kim Jong-un. Um, something's going to have to change soon. The world is watching. And we can see these, these camps in satellite photographs. We're learning more and more about the regime from the defectors who escape and, and, and give their testimonies before the UN and so on. So uh, something is going to have to change soon. But I mean, yes, you're right. This, it's a dystopian reality today. You, you mentioned uh, memoirs written by people who've defected, and you co-authored one, The, the Girl with Seven Names with Hugh and Sia Lee. How did you, how did you get... How did you become her co-author on that book? Um, it, oh, it was simply that the um, the publisher knew I was uh, I had started writing a thriller about um, North Korea, and thought I would be a good um, a, a good fit for her co-author. And um, when I when, when I when she told me her uh, life story. Um, it was so uh, thrilling and exciting. I really didn't do need to do much <laughs> to turn it into uh, it, the, her whole life read like a thriller. You know, she was a 17 um, a year old girl who, who lived on the border with China, um, right next to the river border. And one night the river froze and uh, purely out of curiosity, because she wanted to learn a bit about the world outside. She walked across the frozen river into China. She was only going to go for a few hours and then realized she could never come back because they'd find out she'd gone and her family was in big trouble. So she was for 10 years, she was on the run in China. Uh, it, it was a thrilling story and, an, um, you know, an amazing story. I, I, I needed to do very little to it to, um, <laughs> to, to, to bring it out. I mean, the story spoke for itself. You've spoken to people who've left North Korea and have gone to the West through China and and then most probably to the United Kingdom, where you met, where you met, where, where you met uh, Hugh and C. Lee. Have you been to North Korea yourself? Uh, yes, I, I was there in 2012 um, as part of a very small tour group. Um, it's possible to visit as a tourist, um, but it's very tightly controlled with two guides, 
And uh, we weren't really allowed to speak to any ordinary people, certainly not without um, the minders standing there listening. Um, and, uh, of course, I knew we would be shown only those things the regime wanted us to see, you know, all these monuments to, to socialism. And, and Pyongyang, it has to be said, is very impressive. Um, but it reminded me of a tour around a gigantic stage set, you know, with 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 a population behaving like extras. Um, but, uh, it, it, of course, it was impossible for the regime to hide the, the whole reality from us. I mean, it, it was possible to peep behind the set and see the reality for ourselves. And I, and I did see for myself, I saw um, children who, who were obviously living on the streets. They weren't in school. Um, empty factories, uh, women washing clothes in, in a dirty river, in poverty, basically. It was the, it was the, it was the reality behind the propaganda. Um, but I also, I was also there at a special time. It was 100 years in, in April 2012 since the birth of Kim Il Sung, who founded the country. He's Kim Jong Un's grandfather. And the celebrations were massive, absolutely massive. Uh, the regime pulled out all the stops to impress foreign visitors. So I saw the cult of personality at its most excessive. Uh, it, it, it really was extreme. I mean, no one uttered a word unless it was in praise of, of Kim, Kim Il-sung. Um, and after two weeks, I, I'd had enough. I, I started coming down with propaganda sickness. I, 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 listening to the sort of official falsehoods that they, they kept repeating, such as, you know, the South started the Korean War, which is not true. Um, it became very wearying, very wearying indeed after two weeks. But this is what North Koreans live with. You're in, you're out. It never changes. We're in conversation with uh, David, uh, John, the author of the book Star of the North. We've just been hearing about his tour to North Korea and to Pyongyang in 2012. We'll be back with more conversation with David straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We are in conversation with David John, the author of Star of the North. It is an explosive thriller set in North Korea and America. It's more topical than I think any other thriller that you will be able to read this year because this is really one of those books that have been plucked from the headlines with the Singapore um meeting between President Trump and Kim Jong-un a few weeks ago. This is very, very much a country that is in the world's spotlight. David, what led to writing this specific book? You've you've been to North Korea, you've you've written, you've co-authored memoirs of a North Korean um, escapee or person who's defected, I should say a defector. But from from those threads to a thriller, what was the what was the process? What was the what was the inspiration? Ah, well, the inspiration really um, it, it's um, it was from seeing the news on the nineteenth of December two thousand and eleven. I don't know if you remember what what that footage was like just after Kim Jong Il's death was announced. This is Kim Jong Un's father who died in twenty twenty eleven. Um, but there were those extraordinary scenes on the on the streets of Pyongyang, the capital, all those people mourning and, and crying and throwing themselves on the snow and a, appealing to the sky with their hands. I, I thought it looked as if they were under a spell. 
Um, and um, it's because every one of those people knew what kind of punishment awaited anyone whose eyes were dry. That that was the kind of um, uh, power the, the regime had over its people. And I, I was just fascinated. I just knew I had to um, write about this place. And for, I mean, in North Korea, there's there's nowhere else like it in the world in terms of setting um, setting a thriller in terms of atmosphere. I mean, it's a secretive, violent tyranny led by one family. It, it, it's a relic from the Cold War that should have vanished a, a quarter of a century ago. Um, it, it was just too intriguing. For, as the setting for a thriller, um, it was ideal. And very few people have, have set a thriller there, probably because it, it involves traveling and visiting the country for yourself. And that's not something everyone wants to do. Or, or, or they can't do it, even if you'd want to, but it's so restricted. And uh, as you said, you can't really see the country. You can only see what the regime wants you to see. And um, That's right. Mm. What's the basic plot? Without any plot spoilers, what's the basic story of Star of the North? Um, it's it's a thriller based on real events. Um, a young American woman um, is kidnapped from an island just off South Korea. Twelve years later, the CIA recruits her twin sister, Jenna, to find out what really happened. And and this leads Jenna into uh, a journey into the world's most secretive state, uh, North Korea. And in the background to the story, there's the growing menace of um, North Korea's missile technology, this, these alarming advances it's making in some very terrifying technology. Um, but it's also the story of, of three characters. It's, there's Jenna, there's... Um, there's Colonel Cho, who's a rising diplomat in Pyongyang, who's afraid that a secret in his family background is going to catch up with him. And Mrs. Moon, who's an old peasant lady living in the very north of the country on the border with China. And I wanted to take these three lives and see how I could connect them, if I could, um, through an exciting story and create characters that were believable enough to give you a real insight into what life's like in this country and in, in this paranoid secretive country and the research for these characters well obviously jenna from 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 america is very easy to research because it's a free country but the old lady and the diplomat how did you get an insight into how their minds work um, well, the uh, good question. I mean, the the old lady, Mrs. Moon, she's very much a type. You know, she, she's, they're called ajumas. Um, these old Korean ladies, and they're 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 common in North Korea and in South Korea. Go to any marketplace, and you'll see them. Um, they're tough, hardworking, no nonsense matrons who who have no difficulty make, making men look foolish. And I wanted Mrs. Moon to be, you know, tougher and smarter than any of the men in her environment. So she very much draws from a, a certain type, a well-known type. Colonel Cho, um, <laughs> this, well, I'm going to embarrass myself now. I guess I put a lot of myself into him, especially the idealism and the naivety, because um, at the at the beginning, he's a pretty arrogant character. He's a firm believer in the regime. When he discovers that he's got this family secret that could completely unruin his life and his family, he's, he's, his eyes begin to open to the reality of this regime he serves. So I guess I put a bit of myself into him. But I, I wanted to make all three characters outsiders. You know, none of them um, really uh, fit in. Um, I think um, uh, an 
outsiders, they often have an inner strength that, that they don't realize they have. And that, that's a quality I find very appealing. So um, that's something I wanted to explore um, in, in the characters. You really did explore very well. Those, those characters, and there were others as well in the book that you just, after page 50, you have such a personal connection as a reader with these characters. Uh, the old lady in the north, every every obstacle and hurdle in her path, I, I, I felt that. And uh, Colonel Cho, when he gets to New York, and the the that arrogance that he has in the face of the world superpower and in their you know their their showcase city, and how he starts to question, I could feel that transformation in him happening, and obviously Jenna being the the American who's lost his you know who who believes that she's lost his sister uh and possibly to uh to to this kidnapping program off the coast of South Korea. It's also very easy to identify with her. So these are characters and especially, especially the Colonel who really become 3d. And there's, there's a, there's a transformation in their personalities that besides the, the, the explosive thriller, you've got great characters who really pull a reader in. I do have to compliment you because these characters are very they 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 special, they're unique. They 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 give a real human feel to the human rights catastrophe and uh, I don't know the, the the great the great crime that the that the the North Korean regime commits against its own its own citizens. You've given a face mm. and a name to them. Yeah, thank you. Well, well, that, that's that was my aim. I think, um, um, yes, C- Colonel Cho, he certainly goes through the biggest change when, when characters go through an, an, an a real transformation. That I think that really hooks people; it, it intrigues them. Um, but I mean, uh, it, it, I was I also wanted to to tell people about North Korea through through fiction. You know, fic, fiction can do things that a news report can't. Um, it, it can really put you inside people's heads. And inside their feelings, and that, that's what I was hoping to do with these characters, give you a real insight. You did, you did. I, I, I feel that I've got a small little insight into what life is like for different segments of the North Korean population. North Korean government, in the book, and from lots of news reports that are coming out all the time, is called a criminal enterprise. What are your What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that statement, on that description of the North Korean government? Uh, well, I think that's absolutely accurate. It's it's it, it's a it's a mafia dynasty um, that's that's maintained absolute it's maintained absolute and lethal control for seventy years now by by and it's done so by keeping people hungry, poor, and as ignorant as possible about the outside world. Um, it um, it sends children to concentration camps for the crimes of their parents uh there's there's no other word for it, it it's a criminal rogue state um uh, I, I, it's, it's that's a completely accurate term I mean, it's no exaggeration with with that in mind what were your thoughts on president trump's uh, meeting of kim jong un uh i had mixed feelings about it. it in one way i mean trump is a maverick and sometimes a maverick can can really break a break a deadlock um, and um, he, there's, I, I guess, he has brought 
Kim Jong Un out of the cold and and forced him to um, stake his person, his his reputation now on pro on these talks. But on the other hand, I can't help thinking Trump has walked into a massive North Korean trap, um, and that uh, he he's. He's basically granted parity and recognition to a petty regional despot, um, something the North has been craving for for decades, to sit down at a table with the president of the United States as an equal. I mean, that is a massive propaganda victory for Kim. And for the very first time, um, the American president was shown on North Korean TV. I mean, that's that they, they're spinning it that way as a, as a great victory for Kim. Uh, I don't know. I Maybe it will start a process, but I doubt very much that Kim will give up the strongest cards he's ever had, that his country's ever had. Um, nuclear weapons are central to the regime's power and central to Kim's credibility with the army. I really can't see him giving it up. Um, it, it's probably going to be a vague and long process in which Kim gets what he really wants, a slight relaxation of sanctions that will help him keep re- keep his regime in place. These are the thoughts of uh, David John, the author of a North Korean thriller, Star of the North, on President Trump's meeting with Kim Jong-un just a few weeks ago in Singapore. This is People of the Book on 101.9 Chai FM. We'll be back with more conversation with David John just after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. That was our interview with David John, the author of Star of the North. One of the things that I did discuss with him, which really, really put a whole different spin on the entire North Korea issue, is that he said North Korea has to succeed for the time being, not because of the family ruling North Korea, but because of all the powers around North Korea. Russia, China, Japan, South Korea, and America cannot deal with a collapsing North Korea. They will try everything in their power to keep the state functioning and hopes, hopefully hobbling on and surviving until they change and morph into a far more stable country. But it's within all the powers in North uh, northeastern Asia to keep the regime maintaining some degree of law and order and stability, even though it's north edge stability, some stability in the north. So it's quite an interesting view, a real politic view of what's happening in North Korea. The book, as I said, is absolutely explosive. It is the type of book that you need to read in order to understand the stories behind the headlines. And then just to finish off, next week we've got two interviews. We've got Ralph Matheja, who is a political analyst on News24, coming in to discuss his new book, Ramaphosa's Turn. And we've got Sue Nyati, the author of The Polygamist, and right now her new book is called The Gold Diggers, talking about her new book, which is a story about Zimbabwean immigrants into South Africa. So there's a lot to look forward to next week. And I've also got a recording with Shari Lapina, who is a rising star in thriller writing, who will be talking to us on People of the Book on 101.9 Chai FM in the next few weeks. Until next week, should only hear good news for Soros Tovos, good Shabbos, and keep reading.